Welcome to the preaching podcast from the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church in Bonners Ferry, Idaho. In 1 Timothy 3.15, it says that the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. Therefore, we believe it is our duty to hold fast and to hold forth the truth, which is the Word of God. We're glad that you're listening and hope that you will be encouraged by what you hear today. Okay, we're going to read one verse. We're going to up and down real quick. But stand with me if you would, please. I do want to stand to read Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Thank you. You may be seated. There are other verses that are going to follow this verse, and they are certainly going to support what this verse is saying. He's going to talk about bearing one another's burdens and so fulfilling the law of Christ. He's going to talk about the need to have a humble mind, and he's going to articulate some more based on this verse. And I believe even not being weary in well-doing has to do with the work of restoring a brother. Restoring brethren is not an easy thing to do when they've been overtaken, but it is a duty of ours to do. Um, how, many of you, how many of you understand the implications of Matthew 24? I, didn't, I don't have the verse written down. Where the Lord Jesus says, Because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Now I know this from being in church. There are times that someone quits church. Okay, They quit church and they get out of church. And they've made a decision, they're not going to go to church, and you can try to follow up, and they won't, they won't let you close. And that often, when someone, by the time they get to the point where they're ready to quit church, that is often the case, okay? And I, under, I understand that. And there's not really much you can do if someone is not willing to let you do that. But on the other side, isn't it easy to get calloused about people who are saved and out of God's will and not want to do the difficult work of seeing them get their spiritual bones reset. That's kind of what I think of here. If a brother be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such one. My understanding is the same word that's used here for restore would be to, be to bring back to a place. It's the same word that's used of Peter and John when they were mending their nets. Okay? It's the same exact Greek word. They were mending. So their nets were, were broken or damaged, and they're repairing them. And so we can say more, and maybe with the Lord, I would like next week to deal more with the restoration or what it means to be overtaken in a fault. But the point would be here, Paul is specifically addressing a group of people among the Galatian churches, and he believed they would know who he was talking to when he said, ye which are spiritual, restore such and one in the spirit of meekness. It's interesting, the way that he gives the commandment, only a spiritual person would respond to it correctly. A carnal person cannot respond with the spirit of meekness and doesn't care if a brother's overtaken to fault. They just really don't care. It doesn't have to do with their life. It doesn't affect their pocketbook. It doesn't affect their sleep at night. It doesn't affect their happiness in this physical world. So why does it matter? Uh, carnal people don't care about spiritual things. <laughs> they can be saved, but they really don't care about spiritual things. So really the way that the, the, the commandment is crafted, it's going to catch the ear of a spiritual person but tonight, it gives us an occasion and an opportunity to use the Bible to define a term. Um, how many of you think sometimes you ever been around somebody and they're discussing the Bible, and maybe, maybe you're, you're, not, you're not pastors, so maybe this doesn't resonate with you like it kind of does with me, but people discuss the Bible and they'll treat the Bible like everything is uncertain, like we're all just making our best guess 
at what we think is true and they wax eloquent about the, the things of God, but when you're done, there's no decisiveness. It's, well, some, some people believe this text means this and some believe it means this. And I'm not talking about presenting how different people might see a text. There's some value in that from time to time, especially if the Lord has written in such a way where it's not conclusive. But much of the Bible's not written that way. We, we, we agree with that. But my point is this. Many times, these who are never decisive about spiritual matters are often deemed the most spiritual people. Oh, brother so-and-so, doctor so-and-so. You know, and you read or listen to what they have to say, and they leave you hanging in limbo, not sure, is the Bible true or are there errors in it? Are we saved by grace or are we saved by works? You with me? They just kind of... and. Many times there's an admiration for that kind of person as though the most spiritual thing you can do, especially in this world of, of um, what, are we, what are we calling this, postmodernism, right? The most spiritual thing you can do is be respectful of anything that anyone else believes. That's okay. We're just, we, we want, I believe in being respectful of other people in the sense that they are valuable to God and we are to esteem others better than ourselves. But that doesn't mean I am to respect every lie someone believes, right? And often that person is deemed spiritual who will never disagree with anybody. I think of a radio personality. Some of you are going to know exactly who I'm talking about. I'm not going to name a name. But he's on the radio talking about biblical things to do with the Christian life and you'll never hear him disagree with anything anybody says to him. He'll say something like, well, that's a good point. I never thought of it that way. And there's no decisiveness. He's nice, very sweet, kind, nice man. But never decisively, what you just said can't be right because the word of God says. And many in our world would see that person that is just congenial and easy to get along with, they'll mistake that for spirituality. I mean, understand this often happens. Our natural thinking is the exact opposite of what is true. One of the things that will stand out about a spiritual person is they are decisive. And when we are indecisive, it is often a mark of carnality. And so, well, and that's not the only mark of spirituality. Now, we're going to see three things tonight about a spiritual person or a spiritual man. We're going to look at the measure of a spiritual man, the marks of a spiritual man, and the mandate for a spiritual man, which we find here in Galatians chapter 6. So let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And let's look at what the Apostle Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 14. Now, you know as well as I do, the Corinthians had been rebuked in chapter 1 and in chapter 3 for being carnal. Paul said he had some things to say to them that was spiritual meat, but they were not able to take it yet. They were carnal. They were babes. So... Spiritual, being spiritual, and we'll deal with this here in a little bit as one of the marks. It is, it is being spiritually developed. It is a mark of spiritual maturity when you are considered to be spiritual. We know the mystics and the New Agers, their concept of being spiritual is completely different than what the Bible. So we're not even dealing with that. That's outside the realm of Bible Christianity. But among Bible Christianity, how do you recognize a spiritual person? How would you know if you're called upon to be one of these that can be trusted to restore a brother who's fallen or overtaken in a fault. Um, and so again, we, just, we really want to use this chapter 6, verse 1 as an opportunity to define spirituality. So you know as well as I, 1 Corinthians 
Um, there, there are those today, so just bear with me a little bit, that would have a difficult time with what they'll call topical preaching. If you're on the internet at all, there are going to be some preachers that say, oh, topical preaching is bad. And so you don't take a topic and just grab a bunch of Bible verses and preach on it. Well, as long as the topic you're preaching on is biblically grounded, praise God for it. You know what we're doing tonight? We're using expositional preaching to preach on a topic. We're opening Galatians chapter 6, and you know what the topic is? Being spiritual. You can't deal with your Bible without getting into topical preaching. And so I'm just, if you hear somebody say, oh, the only thing God cares about is expositional preaching. Well, if what they mean is you open the Bible and preach it in its context, amen to that. You don't cherry pick a verse and make it say what you want it to. But 1 Corinthians is a book of topics. <laughs> I mean, it is. One chapter or another is Paul dealing with this topic and where the Corinthians were wrong and how they need to get it right. And then you deal with another topic. So chapter 5 is the immorality was in the church. Chapter 6, you're not supposed to sue each other in court. I mean, that's a pretty practical topic. Chapter 7 was on the subject of marriage and how you deal with uh, your daughters and uh, death of a maid or divorce and remarriage. I mean, it's very practical. Chapters 8 and 9 deal with eating meat offered to idols. And chapter 10, the same. Uh, chapters uh, 11, 12, 13, he's dealing with spiritual gifts and uh, being deceived by the devil and all these different things. Come to chapter 14, he's dealing with order in the church. So we know 1 Corinthians 13 is about charity, which is the crown mark of a spiritual person, is charity. It's the crown and grace. But chapter 14 is all about order in the church. And so he tells them to follow after charity. And this just gives us some definition. We need to have... We need to have our thinking grounded in God's way of thinking. And so in dealing them to deal with, have charity, he begins to set some things in order that are out of order in the church at Corinth. And one of the things he initially goes into is this whole matter of how they gloried in spiritual gifts, especially the Corinthians gloried in speaking in tongues. It seemed to me they put uh, a premium, if you can talk in tongues, it was one of the first charismatic churches. If you can talk in tongues, that means you are more spiritual. And Paul lays down the argument, no, I would rather say five words that can be understood than 10,000 in an unknown tongue. Because if you can understand me, you can be edified. If you don't understand what I'm saying, God may, but you don't. It does you no good. And he really takes tongues and goes, it's just a sign for the unbelievers and throws it down here. We'll deal with it in Sunday school next week. Tongues is just a sign for unbelieving Jews to convince them that the gospel was true. It is not a mark of salvation, and it's certainly not a mark of spirituality. And so having gone through that, he goes, he says, if you're going to speak in tongues, and someone's, if they're going to have speaking in the church at all, it has to be in order, one at a time, two or three at the most. So this idea of everybody preaching at one time, talking over each other. I mean, have ever been in some kind of a service like that where people were not governed like they were supposed to be, and one guy says, I got something to say. No, I got something to say. God says, don't do it. That is not the way this is supposed to be done. Then Paul gets very politically incorrect and says the women are supposed to be quiet in the church and they're not supposed to say anything at all. When it comes to preaching and the teaching, that's left to the men. And if a woman has a question, she's to ask her husband at home. How many of you think right now Paul is behaving charitably? I mean, let's put it here. There's debate today in the Southern Baptist Convention as to whether or not women can be pastors and whether or not homosexuals can be pastors in the Southern Baptist Convention. Now, you know why there's independent Baptist churches? <laughs> and have been for a long time. There's debate over whether or not a woman can be a pastor and preach to men and teach men. And the question, is the Bible unclear on that? It is not unclear. Then why is there a lack of clarity? 
Well, because people are so spiritual, they care about everybody. You see what I'm saying? We get a false definition of spirituality. Paul is dealing with the Corinthian church, and he's very clear. If multiple of you are going to speak, it's to be done in order, one at a time, two or three at the most. If someone's going to speak in an unknown tongue, there must be an interpreter. If there's not an interpreter, tell, they got to stay quiet. You know what? He's laying down some rules here about how to conduct ourselves in church. He said, the women are to remain silent. They're not supposed to be speaking in tongues. They're not supposed to be usurping authority. First Timothy says, over the man, they're to remain quiet. He says all of that, and as he comes to the end of the chapter, so he's dealt with, just go back to verse 34 to kind of see how clear he's being. Let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. And by the way, he just referenced the law. He did a no-no there too. Paul was a legalist. See, he was a legalist, malchauvinist. Huh? As also saith the law, and if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for women to speak in the church. What? Came the word of God out from you or came it unto you only? You know what he's saying to the Corinthians? Do you think you have an exclusive monopoly on the word of God there? No, that's not the case. Then look at verse 37. I, I love this verse. If any man think himself to be a prophet, so you think you're a messenger for God, or spiritual, so you think you're a messenger for God and you think you're spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. That's a plain statement. What we have here is a measure of spirituality. Paul says, some of you think that you're messengers for God. You think you are spiritual. So I'm going to lay a ruler down here. If you think you are, then here's how you're going to prove that. You're going to acknowledge that the things I've written unto you about order and charity in the church are the commandments of who? Paul? God. How many ever met somebody that thought themselves super spiritual and one of the first things they say is, I don't follow any man. I'm not a man follower. Well, bless your heart. <laughs> because we are told to follow men. <laughs> True? Obey them that have the rule over you, spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow. Considering the end of their conversation, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and day and forever. You realize what's being instructed there? Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7. Hebrews 13, 17 says almost the same thing. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. And some spiritual person will say, you know what? I am so spiritual that there are things in the Bible that God has revealed to me truths that you won't find in the Bible. I am so spiritual and have such a close relationship with God that he communes with me at such a close personal level that I understand things about God that you wouldn't understand simply from reading your Bible. There's nothing new under the sun. It's going on way back there in Corinth. And Paul said, here's the measure of a spiritual man. Number one, he will acknowledge the authenticity of the written word of God. Paul said, you need, if you're spiritual, if you think you're spiritual, here's your test. Here's your test. Let you, you need to acknowledge that the things that I have, what's he say? Spoken or written unto you? That I've written unto you are the commandments of God. Paul said, I am not writing you my ideas. I am not writing to you my best way to conduct, conduct church. It's not my philosophy for ministry. I'm writing to you the commandments of God. And if you're spiritual, you'll acknowledge that. The first measure of spirituality is that you acknowledge the authenticity 
Meaning, we acknowledge this book we hold is not a book of men, it's a book from God. We acknowledge that 2 Timothy 3.16 is a fact that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. We acknowledge that men did not write of their own will what they wanted written, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. I've never met a spiritual person who had disrespect for the Bible. And a man recently, and I've spoken to him about it because it's really... It's hit the internet world like a wave. He claims to be an independent Baptist, and for three years he uh, slowly brought his church from King James-only position into modern translation position. Now he's posted a how-to video on how you can also deceive your church when they think you're King James-only, and you can take them into being a modern translation church. Now, that's what he wanted to be. He should have just out and said, I don't believe in that old book anymore, and I want to go the way of the new translations, but he didn't. And some would laud that man as a spiritual man. Spiritual because he's trying to make progress and win people. And what happens at the end of the day is it casts doubt on the word of God. Do we have God's word or do we not? No, no, no. The mark of a spiritual man is he will acknowledge that the things written in this book, someone say, well, it's just 1 Corinthians 14. I, I don't think so. <laughs> Look at the 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We've looked at these verses recently. Paul commended the Thessalonians for being of an exemplary church, and he says this about them in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Let's go back to verse 11. As ye know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you, as a father doth his children, that ye would walk worthy of God, who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. For this cause also thank we God, Without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Remember what Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.15, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. The spiritual person can only be spiritual when they have an anchor for their faith, when they have a foundation for their faith, and that foundation is the written word of God. The spiritual person, the measure of a spiritual man, is first and foremost, he acknowledges the authenticity of the written word. Number two, or letter B, he acknowledges the authority of the written word. Notice what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14, 37. If any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual... Let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you are the suggestions of the Lord. Eh? They are the requests of the Lord. Commandment is a strong term. It is an unequivocal, this is what you are to do. Commandments are what sergeants give to privates. Commandments are what daddies give to children. At least that's the way it's supposed to be. But mamas are, give, are to give their children. They give them laws and commands. God gives us commandments. Meaning this, you and I can't be spiritual if we have an authority problem. Eh. And by the way, you know how you can tell if you have an authority problem? When authority comes up, you bristle. When the issue of authority comes up, when the issue of the authority of God's word comes up, when the issue of the authenticity of the word of God comes up, and you bristle inside, well, you got an authority problem. And you and I cannot be spiritual as long as we're not submitted to God. Amen? So 
the measure of a spiritual man, according to 1 Corinthians 14, 37, is he acknowledges the authenticity of the written word of God. How many of us, how many of us believe this? Order in church is necessary for going to heaven. Does anybody in this room believe that? Of course not. How many of us would understand what Paul's dealing with in 1 Corinthians 14 is something we would call a secondary issue as it relates to salvation? Has nothing to do with making you righteous enough to go to heaven. Do you realize saved people on their way to heaven can have disorder in a church? Well, the Corinthians did. They were brethren. Absolutely. We're not saved by how we do church. We are saved by Jesus Christ. And yet, Paul said, if any man... Here, here, let, me, let me try 21st century American uh, spiritual scholasticism. If any man among you think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the only thing that matters in the Bible are the fundamentals that relate to salvation. If you think I've got a little burr under my saddle tonight, you're right, I do. There's this nonsense that's being taught now, now in Baptist churches, that really there are essential truths in the Bible and there are non-essential. And you know what the truth is? Paul didn't say, if any man among you want to be saved, let him acknowledge the things I write unto you. We're not talking about being saved. We're talking about being spiritual. And if you and I are going to be useful to God in his service, we need to be spiritual people. There are some people that are content to be carnal. They are content to live their lives for the experience of this life and are not concerned about how many souls they're taking to heaven. They're not concerned about the unseen. I'm just concerned about what I can see, feel, and touch in this life. I'm going to heaven and I don't care if anybody else goes with me. I just want to have a good life. That's carnality. Listen, you and I can have our sins forgiven, be possessors of eternal life, and be carnal. But Paul says, but if you're going to claim to be spiritual, I'm going to put you to the test. A spiritual person will never, will never kick back at the written word of God, even if he thinks it is secondary. When I hear people saying, well, there are things in the Bible that have nothing to do with our salvation and they are non-essential. There's not one book, word in this book that's non-essential. If it were, he wouldn't have put it there. Every word of God is pure, except the non-essential ones. I'm trying to form some things in us as a church with God's help. This book is essential. Every word, every word, not only the things that relate to your salvation. By the way, is there anything in the Bible that suggests the only thing that really matters at the end of the day is what relates to our salvation? And we say, well, that's what will determine fellowship. And I'm going to tell you something. A spiritual person will do everything they can to maintain fellowship with a brother because they love the brethren. But the fact of the matter is there's so many today that are content to not be spiritual. We shouldn't be that way. And so here's the test of a spiritual person. Number one, the measure is they acknowledge the authenticity of the Word of God. They acknowledge the authority of the written Word of God. That's what, that's what the Spirit of God says in 1 Corinthians 14, 37. I'd say it's a test of a preacher. If any man think himself to be a prophet, think you're a messenger for God, you want the number one thing I want to know about when a missionary wants to come preach here or a preacher wants, wants, wants to uh, present, i got a ministry I think would be helpful to your church. By the way, we need preachers. May Bonner's Ferry Baptist Church never get the idea that missionaries need us and we don't need them. No, no, we need them. We need them to come through. We need them to preach here. We need them to present their burden here so we can do our job. We need them as bad as they need us. But the number one thing I want to know about a preacher is what do you think about the Bible? 
What good is a preacher that doesn't have confidence in the Bible? No good at all. And so then, if any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. That's a bold statement, isn't it? But it's a true one. Number two, that's the measure of a spiritual man. Number two, the marks of a spiritual man. There's just some high points, I think, that are characteristic as we look at the Bible of a spiritual man. Number one, we're right here in 1 Corinthians 14, 37. The spiritual man is dependent on the Word of God. He is dependent on the Word of God. The spiritual man acknowledges, I need the commandments of the Lord to guide my steps. The reproofs of instruction are the way of life. That's what Proverbs tells us. A spiritual man understands... I am not wise in myself. A spiritual man understands there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. A spiritual man understands, trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. He will command your steps. The spiritual man says, we're not smart enough to know how to do church. We need God to tell us how. We're going to acknowledge these things that he's written for us in his word are the commandments of the Lord. And so the spiritual man is dependent upon the word of God. That's what we would see in 1 Corinthians 14, 37. That acknowledgement is not just, okay, I accept it's from God. He's submitted to that and dependent on the word of God. Number two, because he's dependent on the word of God, the spiritual man is discerning. He's discerning. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And then we're going to go to Hebrews chapter 5. One of the marks of spirituality and spiritual maturity is the ability to, to discern between good and evil. Uh, that, it's, one of the, it's one of the indictments on so many a believer today that they're not spiritual. They can't seem to grasp there are some things that are good and there are some things that are evil and we're supposed to cleave to that which is good while we abhor that which is evil. There are those who would present today, the more spiritual you are, the more blurred the line is between good and evil. They would say this, a mark of spirituality is that you will acknowledge there are a lot of gray areas. Things are not so black and white. Only a babe would think things are so black and white. I've had people say things like this to me. Like, as though as you mature spiritually, the clarity between right and wrong becomes more ambiguous. The Bible says the opposite. The more spiritual you are, the more stark the contrast is between good and evil. Let's look at it. Let's see it from the Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and let's back up uh, to verse 7. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained from before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which uh, God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. I mean, we don't naturally know the things of God. Verse 12, now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak. Not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually, what's it say next? 
discern. These are things you have to have spiritual discernment to see. But he that is spiritual does what? Judgeth all things. 1 Thessalonians 5.21 says it this way. Prove all things. Put it to the test of truth and make a judgment. He that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Remember how Paul commended the Bereans who said, he said, these were more noble than those in Thessalonica and that they searched the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. We're living in a world that says the more ecumenical you are, the more open-minded you are to all ideas under the heading of Christianity, the more spiritual you are. Well, what if a lie is being taught? If I start in this pulpit teaching you something contrary to the Word of God, are you spiritual for pretending it's true when you know it's not in line with God's Word? No. We just want to love the brethren. We don't love by concealing truth. We love by telling the truth. Amen? The only time it's right to love and conceal the truth, the Bible says charity covereth a multitude of sins, meaning when someone's been forgiven, you don't go around blurting. You, you choose to forget it and let it go. You're willing to say, I pretend that never happened in order not to hurt that person. But we're not talking about sweeping things under the rug. We're not pretending like error is truth and truth is error. And what we're living in is a world that says what we, we have to do to be spiritual is treat every idea like it's equal in value. All men were created equal, but all ideas are not. There are ideas and philosophies that are false. Much of your New Testament was written to expose false teaching and false teachers. Yes, it's true. And so the spiritual man is discerning. He is able to say, that's truth, that's a lie. The spiritual man judgeth all things. It doesn't say he judges all people. We're not to judge one another. We're not to set ourselves up as the superior one. You answer to me. No, no, no. That's not our job. We all answer to Christ. But we are to judge all things. You're to hear what I'm preaching you tonight. Put it against the test. Be spiritual enough to hear what your preacher's preaching. Test it against the Bible to say, is that really what God's saying? Are spiritual people really discerning? <laughs> Is that a truth? Spiritual people are discerning people. And so we'll come just a moment. They're not only discerning, they're decisive. Uh, let's look, if you would, with me uh, at a couple more verses. We've seen Galatians 6, 1. They're discerning of all things. or judging. They judge all things. Uh, it's interesting to me. We're going to go to a couple of places here. Galatians 6, 1 talks about, You at your spiritual restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyselves. The spiritual person is not only discerning of truth and error, he's discerning of his own vulnerability and his own weakness. Meaning, the, the spiritual person has keen judgment. The ability to see things as they are, not as they appear to be. It's very easy. You know what pride is? Pride is simply being deceived. Pride is having a view of myself that's not consistent with the truth. I think I'm here when I'm really here. A spiritual person sees himself for what he really is. I'm no better than the next guy. I could commit this sin just as easily as them. 1 Corinthians 10, 12, let him that th wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth. I mean, the perception is your mind. I would never fall. Ah, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Pride goeth before destruction and Holy Spirit before a fall. And then let's look, if you would, uh, 1 Corinthians, or excuse me, uh, Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5, we're talking about the spiritual man. We're talking about the marks of a spiritual person. 
First of all, they are dependent on the word of God because they acknowledge it as authentic and authoritative. Number two, they're discerning because you know what the word of God does? It gives light. You see, if God has spoken clearly on something, then anything opposite of what it says cannot be true. So let me put it, we'll just use creation again. It is impossible that the world came into existence by any other means than creation. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and God, God goes to such detail to help us understand those were six 24-hour periods. You say, how do you know, Pastor? This is deep. This is deep. You ready? You got to be a Hebrew scholar to get this one. The evening and the morning were the first day. And the evening and the morning were the first, second day. And there's somebody that says, well, I don't know if that just means days. I mean, you know, God spelled it out so clearly that we can make a judgment and say, you know what? God created the heaven and the earth in six literal days and he rested the seventh because that's what he said. May I say this? I believe many times open-mindedness is nothing more than another word for double-mindedness. I'm not going to say affirmatively what's true because I've not yet decided to believe what God said. Once you believe that this book is authoritative, it's amazing how it will help your discernment. You know what? You can't be saved by grace and works. You know how I know that? Not because I'm smart, but because God said it over and over and over and over. <laughs> and because he knows us. He knows our wretched pride, so he made it so very clear so when you and I accept this book is authoritative, it cannot be right ever at any period in church history or future for the women to assume a role of spiritual leadership and teaching and preaching and declaring to the men. How do I know? Because God said that's not his will for his churches. And it doesn't matter how woke the culture gets or how asleep it gets. It's still wrong because God has spoken. It doesn't matter. I was preaching them in the jail this afternoon dealing with some of the cultural issues. And I said, look, I understand for men to live immoral lives. And I spoke a little more plainly to them than that. I said, it's as common as breathing, but it's still sin and God's still going to judge it. How do we know that? He said it. So it may be common for people to shack up and live together for five years before they get married, but it is still something that God's going to judge. Whoremongers and adulterers, God will Judge, once you've said, once you've decided that's God's word, that was not the penman of Hebrews that came up with that, those are the commandments of God, then all of a sudden, if you're going to start saying, well, in some circumstances, in some cultures, people live together, all of a sudden, here we are back in gray areas. But if the word of God is authority, you can be discerning and decisive. Because God is decisive. Is he not? God's decisive. He's God has not given us the spirit of fear, and he's not the author of confusion. Confusion comes from us, not from him. And so the spiritual person being decisive, look here at Hebrews chapter 5. Penman here says this in verse 12, For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, meaning you ought to be communicating to others the sure truths of God's word. That's what a teacher is, someone who authoritatively communicates to another person the things he's been taught of God from God's word. For whenever the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, the, uh, which be the first principles of the oracles of God and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk, milk is unskillful 
in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Do we see it again? One of the marks of spiritual maturity or being spiritual is the ability to discern between good and evil and to make a judgment call. Look at Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. I don't know of any subject that's probably more relevant to churches in America in this day than what we're dealing with tonight. This idea that love and judgment are not enemies. They go together. Genuine love. If you genuinely love God and you genuinely love people, you and I have to have some convictions that are based on what God has said. Philippians chapter 1, verse 9, Paul says, And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment that ye may approve, meaning having tested and put to the test and seen fit to accept, that you may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. Let me ask you this. Let's just, let's, let's just deal with something very quickly. Why, I mentioned a moment ago, people, it's common today for people to live together and then get married why do we stand against that lifestyle? Well, what's our reason? Why do we say people shouldn't do that? Is it, you know what we say is you do that and this, the, the probability of your marriage falling apart is higher than if you just got married in the first place. And that's true, statistically speaking. Well, in my day, they didn't do it that way. I wasn't raised that way. Is that why? Here's why. Thus saith the Lord. Marriage is honorable and all, the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. You see, to be spiritual, our starting point and our ending point has to be the word of God. So the measure of a spiritual man is his acknowledgement of the authority and authenticity of God's word. The mark is he is dependent on that word and therefore he is discerning between good and evil and decisive. Remember, he that is spiritual does what? Judgeth all things. What is a judgment? Let's think about this tonight. What is a judgment? It is a determination of what is true. The Bible talks much in Proverbs about justice and judgment and equity. So if I were to say to you tonight, um, okay, I believe this piano is blue. Now I want you to help me with that. I believe the piano is blue. How many of us can make a judgment call on what I just said? True or false? False. Okay. I believe the chairs are blue. True or false? Well, they're blue. I mean, they look blue to me. Huh? You have to make a judgment. And I tell you something. How do you know the closer my lie gets to the truth, the little harder it gets to make the judgment? Hey, it's not hard to say that piano's not blue. And I believe these leaves are blue. What do you say? Ooh. Both they're silver, they're not blue, not even a speck of blue in them. We go on and on and on. Now, I believe I have blue in my tie. Anybody vote? I believe I have blue in my tie. Judge not according to the appearance. <laughs> if you could come real close and examine, I have a little blue dot about every centimeter. You know what you're going to have to do? You're going to be diligent to examine what's been stated to see if it's true or false. There, there are things stated out in this world all the time. We think, 
Sound good to me. We roll on. Prove all things. Now, I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about splitting hairs. I'm not talking about straining at gnats. I think you know that tonight. But if you're going to let somebody teach you, we need to judge what's being said. And the spiritual person is able to take the light of God's word and compare it to the concept being put forward and say, is that true or is that false? And today we have many Bible terms being hijacked by false teachers. Hijacking Bible terms, redefining and repackaging them, handing them back to us and saying, this is what it means to love. You and I need to know God's definition of love enough to say, that doesn't match. You're saying that love is to be acceptant of something that God calls evil. That is not love. Jesus died to deal with what is evil. He didn't just look past it. He paid the consequence for it, and we go on and on and on. So the spiritual person is discerning, uh, is decisive. The Lord Jesus said in John chapter 7, verse 17, Judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment, meaning make sure when you're coming to a conclusion and a decision, a determination of what is truth, you're doing it based on the facts. He's given us the tools to do that. His Holy Spirit and His Holy Word and one another to help one another. And so this, the marks of a spiritual man is dependent on the Word of God, discerning through the Word of God, decisive based upon his confidence in the Word of God, and developed, which is what we've already looked at. He is matured enough. His life is not about himself. The spiritual man, his life doesn't revolve around himself. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Uh, if we we're going to look at an antonym in Scripture, what's the antonym of being spiritual when it comes to Christianity? Carnal. That's correct. The antonym, the opposite, is to be carnal. To be spiritual is to have your heart and mind set on eternal spiritual things, to have spiritual judgments we've seen, to have confidence in the Word of God, to be carnal. Well, we get a definition and a picture of carnality here, so that also helps us by comparison and contrast, we can see what spirituality is and what it's not. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, beginning in verse 1. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. So a, a carnal person is considered to be a babe. Meaning when you first get saved, you have the Spirit of God within, but you have all the trappings of your old life. You have all your old ways of thinking. I mean, you understand what I'm talking about. You want to measure. When you first get saved, you know how you measure if a decision's right? How's it going to affect my physical life? And how does a carnal, how does a baby Christian determine whether or not to go to church? Whether or not I'm tired. I, it doesn't, I'm not thinking about what I need. I'm just thinking about if I go to church tonight, I'm not going to be able to get up for work tomorrow, so I'm not going to church. I remember when you thought that way. Some people still think that way. They're not here tonight. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I'm not trying to be unkind. But to be carnal, that's not how you make that decision. You know how you decide whether or not you're going to tithe or give? I've bought everything I want, and I don't have any money left over, so I can't give. That's just carnal. The spiritual person says, you know what? The word of God says, if I'll give, it shall be given unto me. I believe that promise, and I'm going to act based upon what God says, not on what I see. I know it's right to give because God wants me to give, and I'm going to trust that he'll honor his own promises. That's spiritual thinking. Carnal thinking says, I can't give because there's not room for me to give and get what I want. <laughs> so, and when you're first saved, you're carnal because you have all the old way of thinking that has to be replaced by the new way of thinking, right? 
In Hebrews 5, Paul's dealing with people that were still thinking like babies when they'd been saved for many years. So they, got, they, got, they received Christ way back here, and they're still not able to receive the more demanding parts of God's Word, the things that are a little harder to swallow. You want, you're just taking the easy stuff. And so then, same here with Corinth. He said, Now, I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto ye were not able to bear it. They were choking on what Paul was trying to tell them. For hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. For ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? You know what he's saying? As God's people, if the way you're trying to accomplish things is by envying and strife and divisions, no spiritual man would operate that way. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. In my household, let me just say this. Case and Braden are now living together on their own. If I come in there and they are always, I mean, I'm not saying they never disagree, I'm sure they do. But they're always fighting to figure out how they're going to get things done. I mean, I come in and there's broken glass and, you know, things are, the you know, sink is broken. What happened here? I told him, he, I would say, you guys are acting like your youngest siblings. Do you know who strives a lot in our house? The ones that are that tall and lower. And when the older ones do, you know what I tell them? You quit acting like a three-year-old. I expect more out of you. You don't get things done through fighting, arguing, pressing for your own way and manipulation. Amen? Doesn't God tell us that? You don't get things done that way. If a church functions, and I cannot say, I praise God, what I'm preaching to you right now is not a rebuke. Because that's not the way things are being done right now. But how many of us know a spiritual church can become carnal? Absolutely. And so tonight, uh, the spiritual person is mature enough that he operates according to the principles of 1 Corinthians 13, not according to the practices of 1 Corinthians 3. Strife and divisions and debates. And so you're just living like normal men, like any other man. You're not acting like you have the Spirit of God in you. And so the spiritual man is dependent on the Word of God, discerning of, of things based upon the Word of God. He's decisive because of that. He is developed spiritually enough to no longer be self-centered, but Christ-centered, Spirit-led. And then finally, he is a man who demonstrates the presence of the Holy Spirit in his life. Now, the word spiritual is not used here in chapter 5, but it surely is in chapter 6, verse 1. What was the prelude to chapter 6, verse 1? When Paul says, ye that are spiritual, what was the fruit of the Spirit? <laughs> so a spiritual person, you know what's going to be in their life? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. If you read that ninefold fruit and you start reading what's going to have to happen in Galatians chapter 6, all of those things will be necessary if you're going to restore a, a wayward brother. You're going to need love. Because you're going to care more about him than he cares about you, right? You're going to need joy. You're going to need to say, you know what? I find my fulfillment in the Lord Jesus Christ and in my, in my relationship with him, being in his family, being part of his work. You're going to need peace. You're going to need long-suffering, gentleness. How many think you should reset a bone like this? Hold still. <laughs> ah, take some tenderness. You're going to cause somebody pain, you better go at it easy. 
There's times we have to cause each other pain. Faith will say this, faithful the wounds of a friend. <laughs> Boy, I'm your friend. <laughs> no, 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 no. Gentleness. You know what? Um, Braden's going to therapy because he had an operation on his knee. Here's the way you do that. You just grab that thing and say, all right, here we go. Let's go to work. Woo, he's crying thinking about it. Gentle. It's a process, right? And so you're going to need the fruit of the Spirit if you're going to help wayward people. You're going to need some gentleness, a long-suffering gentleness, meekness. You know, the Bible says you're going to have to consider yourself and realize it could be you right there. Temperance, self-control under the leadership of God's Spirit. So the spiritual man demonstrates the presence of the Spirit through the fruit of the Spirit. So the measure of a spiritual man, he acknowledges both the authenticity and authority of God's Word. The marks, he's dependent on the Word of God, discerning, decisive, developed spiritually, and demonstrating the presence of God's Holy Spirit through bearing fruit. And then finally, the mandate of a spiritual man, what is the use of being spiritual? It equips you to serve others. That's the, that is the value of being spiritual. You can go to heaven without being spiritual. We all agree on that, amen? Carnal people die and go to heaven every day. But carnal people are not used of God to serve his people. Spiritual people are. You can't restore anybody. You can't win sinners to Christ as carnal. It's just not one of the, one of the greatest hindrances to the evangelism of this world is carnality among God's people. And they see bickering and fighting amongst God's own people. It, you know what it does? It puts up a block. It builds a wall. It, it becomes an offense to people. And I'm not talking about standing for the faith. I mean, we, people could accuse Paul of bickering. He wasn't. He was laying down, this is the word of God. And we need to, we need to hold one another accountable to that and provoke to love and to good works. And so I'm not talking about not disagreeing. If we, if we love God when we're spiritual, we're going to have to disagree. We're going to have to because somebody's going to say something that is contradictory to God's word. But a spiritual person knows how, with God's wisdom and God's help, to say, nah, that's not right. So let's look at the mandate of the spiritual person. It's where we started, Galatians 6, 1. Brethren, I think that's a key word. Paul is willing to call a bewitched bunch of people who had started biting and devouring each other, brethren. How could he do that? We have a lot of people today caught up in what we'll call lordship salvation. If you're not acting like you're saved, it's because you're not. Careful. Better be careful. You people that are biting and devouring, you're just not saved. What if they say, I am absolutely, firmly, deeply convinced that Jesus Christ is God's only son and only through him can a person be righteous enough to go to heaven and my personal faith is in him and him alone. But your conduct is rotten. You're as proud as a peacock. I mean, believe the Galatians are being proud you know what false doctrine will do? It'll make saved people act like lost people. Huh? Hear me now. Well, you better guard your doctrine. False doctrine will cause saved people to act like lost people. And then God will have to chasten and correct. But you know what Paul says? Paul's a spiritual man. So you know what he calls them? Why does he think they're brethren? Based on what he sees or based on the principles of God's word? Do you realize what Paul called the Corinthians? Read 1 Corinthians 1. He called them saints. How many of you would call Corinthians saints? Did Paul call them saints based on them or based on the principles of God's word? And he said, because you're saints, I'm going to treat you like saints and tell you, you need to get right with God. <laughs> right? Paul's being decisive. 
He's not planting doubt in the minds of the Galatians. He said, I stand in doubt of you. You're causing me concerns. He addresses that. Your conduct lays doubt on your profession, but he's coming right back to the principles. And he says, brethren, I'm reminded you are believers in Christ. You're brethren in the Lord. If a man be overtaken in a fault, then he's going to focus his attention, ye which are spiritual. Do you know who has to bear the majority of weight of responsibility in a local church? The spiritual ones. You ever heard it said 10% of the church does 90% of the work? Anybody ever heard that statistic? Not only that's true here, I praise God for it, but when it is, you know why? We've got 10% are spiritual, 90% are carnal. Should it be that way? No, shouldn't. But Paul says, you who are spiritual... Restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Who was supposed to take the initiative to correct the error in the Galatian churches? Paul said the spiritual ones. You who are mature, be mature enough to step up and start correcting the faults that are around you. There are faults in the Galatian church, and you who are spiritual are the ones who are equipped to address those faults. You know how difficult it is to... Try to help someone who's done wrong. It's a bit of a touchy issue, isn't it? Especially when they are a peer, they're a brother. Paul doesn't say, you lowlings. When he calls them brethren, you know what he's putting them on? Equal plane. He didn't say, I am the apostle. You're the lowlifes. <laughs> no. I don't find he believed in clergy laity. He just knows the responsibility God gave him and his gifting and his responsibility, his authority. And he used it to help them. And he said, now you who are spiritual in the Galatian churches, it is your job to step up and take personal responsibility for the, the damage done to your brethren and help them. He'll talk about bearing one another's burdens, not being responsible by taking the blame, but being responsible for helping to correct what's wrong. Two things, the mandate of a spiritual man, service to the brethren and sobriety of mind. He said, if a man be overtaken in the fault, you which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Let's close tonight with 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. The same principle is put forward to Timothy. There were those Timothy was ministering to who had done themselves damage. They had gotten themselves snared by the devil. They were opposing themselves. And the same principle is put forward here to Timothy who was considered to be a spiritual man. 2 Timothy 2, 24. And the servant of the Lord must not strive... But be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient. In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. There's another pseudo-spirituality in our day, and I focus primarily on the one that's prevalent in our day. It seems to me that the prevalent pseudo-spirituality is act like nothing is decisively true, be open-minded to everybody's ideas, and that means you're very spiritual. That seems to be the prevailing wind. But how many know there's one on the other side that is pseudo-spirituality? You argue about anything that has to do with the Bible, and you always win your arguments. Meaning, I'm going to split every hair. Uh, Jim and I were having a conversation about one that's cropped up. Now we're being told you don't need to repent of your sin to be saved. You need to repent of your unbelief in the Lord Jesus Christ, but you don't need to repent of your sin. And for whatever reason, these folks that believe that, have they just got a nasty attitude. And I can't say there's a spirit of meekness when, you, when you're interacting with them. So some people think you are most spiritual if you can get you 
every kind of social media account you can think of and argue with everybody on the internet about the Bible and what it means. That's not spirituality. That is carnality. You know, what is the goal of a spiritual man? Winning an argument with a wayward brother or getting him back to spiritual health? He's been overtaken in a sin, a fault. You want to get him back to where he's supposed to be. Don't care who gets the credit. You want to get him back to spiritual health. Amen? And so tonight, may God help us to be spiritual, to, to fit the measure, have the marks so that we can fulfill the mandate of serving our brethren, helping them thrive in, in being what God wants them to be. And that helps us as a church to be what we're supposed to be. Let's stand there.